Welcome to the All of Christ for All of Life podcast, brought to you by Canon Plus. This week's episode is a talk from Dr. Greg Strawbridge titled, Ode to Sea Monsters and Such. Check out more from Dr. Strawbridge now on Canon Plus. I was always fascinated by the sea. I have never done well in in art, but I do have a second grade, I think it was like a third place award for a coloring of a scuba diver. <laughs> My only artistic work ever, <laughs> um, if, if even that could be considered art. And I've always had that, that fascination. I think maybe that, that film, that old film, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, just always captivated my imagination. And so it is today that I'm fascinated by this passage in Psalm 104, the passage we've read, which focuses upon, among other things, sea monsters, Leviathan and sea monsters. <laughs> and actually, the Bible mentions Leviathan in about five different places. There's all kinds of uh, references to him. Leviathan is simply the transliterated Hebrew letters for that term. And so it is in Job that God asked Job, can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook? Uh, in other words, he is a monster. It speaks of the multi-heads of Leviathan in Psalm 74, 14. And there's several other passages. And there's another general word for sea monsters, and it's the word tannin, and it shows up about five or six times. God created, says Genesis 1:21, the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarmed after their kind. That's the, that's the image. And so we have an expanded, I would call it like an oration on creation in this wonderful psalm of the day. And I'll try to make the connection as to how this psalm shows up on Pentecost Sunday. Why this psalm on Pentecost Sunday? Why wouldn't it be the psalm that says, do not take your Holy Spirit from me? Or another psalm that represents the Spirit of God. Why would it be this one? I think because of this marvelous, again, oratorio on creation that we have it. Not only are there sea monsters mentioned in the Bible, uh, that's plain, but of course we see fossils of them as well. And there are living sea monsters now, and there are probably a whole bunch that we don't know about, right? So there's this weird shark called the goblin shark. Has anyone ever seen a goblin shark? I'm sure the Nepalese know what I'm talking about here. But it, it, it's a weird shark. It looks crazy. But it, it's just in a really deep water, so very few people have seen it. Most, most of the ocean floor has not been explored the way most of the terrestrial land has. And so from time to time, people who think the world uh, dinosaurs passed away millions and millions of years ago before humanity came, for those that have that worldview, then occasionally they'll just find one of these things washed up on the shore or pull it up with a fishing net or pull it up uh, a coelacanth. And they were supposed to be dead for 66 million years. So just, it's funny because every once in a while, a sea monster will actually show up and they go, oh, well, you know, this is an exception. Amazing. Well, actually, if the Bible is true and the Bible talks of sea monsters, then such monsters existed when humanity was living on the earth in the, in this case, in the context of the Old Testament, right? That stands to reason. Maybe many had died, who knows, but certainly they're there. So I call this ode to the sea monsters and such. Ode to the sea monsters. I always wanted to hear a sermon about sea monsters. <laughs> so this psalm is rich, and it's, I want to be brief today because we have a lot going on in our service, but 
it is a restatement of creation. The structure of the psalm emphasizes Yahweh, God, as creator and his providential control of the world. That's the center of the psalm. You see it in the outline there. But actually, it walks through as a marvelous, almost commentary, flourishing of the days of creation, the sequence of the days of creation. Now, the days of creation is a foundational pattern in the Bible. There are many passages that seem to reflect these days of creation. And we're told, of course, that this creation begins with the earth being without shape and empty. Hohu babohu is the Hebrew. And darkness was over the watery deep. But the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. And then the first day happened. And you know the sequence of the days. I don't need to read them to you. But light was created, the separation of the waters, then land plants, seeds. You can always remember that because land plant seeds come before the sun, moon, stars. <laughs> and so the fourth day, sun, moon, stars, and then the teeming things, the creatures that live in the sea and the creatures that fly, and then finally, man. So let's just walk through this psalm in terms of the days of creation. On day one, God made what? Should be a louder response here. It's just one word. God made light. Okay. And here we have it. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. By the way, this is one of two psalms that has that that, uh, repeated phrase, Bless the Lord, O my soul. What other psalm has that? Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul. It begins and ends with this. You are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. That suggests light. But then it goes on to say, Covering yourself with light as a cloak, stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. Here's day one reflected. Day two. What happens on day two? Separation of the waters or the sea and the sky. And he lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He walks upon the wings of the wind. He makes the winds his messengers, flaming fire his ministers. God is in control of this expanse, this firmament above an image that shows up many times. Actually, the firmament above is an image of baptism too. The waters above come down over you. The Holy Spirit baptizes and comes down. John said, I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Spirit and the water comes down. It flows over the top like a flood. Day three. On day three, the dry land, the seas, the plants, the vegetation sprouts forth. Verse 5, he established the earth upon its foundation so that it will not totter forever and ever. You covered it with the deep like a garment. The waters were standing above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. This is like the flood image here. The mountains rose, the valley sank down. It goes on to say, you give drink to every beast of the field. They lift up the birds who dwell in the heaven. They lift up their voices among the branches. He waters the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of his works. Now, here's the very day three specific language. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the labor of man so that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine which makes the heart of man glad so that he may make his face glisten with oil and food which sustains man's hearts. The trees of the Lord drink their fill and so forth. So in other words, this image of an abundant world, an abundant green-blue globe, and that is indeed what we see. And day four, 
the sun, moon, and stars, the dwellers of light. Notice, by the way, the structure of the creation days. The first day is a day light. The second day has to do with the sea and sky, and the third day has to do with the dry land. And now on day four, we reflect back on day one. There's a parallel here. Day one is light. Day four is the light dwellers, the sun, moon, and stars. We'll find the same thing with the other uh, days as well. So he made the moon, verse 19, for the seasons. The sun knows the place of its setting. You appoint darkness and it becomes night. In other words, this regularity of God's control has to do with the signs in the heavens, with sun and moon. And as we know, the way that works as the sun, that wonderful light and heat and warmth that comes to us. I'm reminded just in recent days in teaching in a apologetics class, I had talked about the the fine-tuning argument. Have you heard of that argument? It's one that's become very persuasive, even for some hard-hitting atheists. And essentially, it's this. If you understand the physics of why we have a world like we have, specifically an Earth with water, with various elements, with carbon, in order to, in order to get that, in terms of physical laws, physics, if you will, the, the fine-tuning of this universe to produce that is overwhelming. It's like a soundboard. Thomas is sitting back at the soundboard. And imagine a soundboard with a million slider knobs, and all of those have a million settings. And if you don't have them set exactly right, just move two or three of millions, you can never have a universe that gives life, that could produce anything like what we have now. Reflecting upon that, Atheists have a good answer to it. The answer is, well, maybe this is not the only universe. Okay, well, what's your evidence for that? Well, we don't have any evidence for that. <laughs> but, but maybe there's no different universe. Well, let's come up with a theory to come up with multiverses. And you'll see that popularly. It's basically, let me show, let me, let me prove to you why there couldn't have been a creator to this world. And we'll come up with the most outlandish, crazy theory in the world to avoid the obvious thing that God made the world, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And so the sun and the moon, these things are are fine-tuned for our life, and they regulate our life. Well, day five, the swarming creatures. This is the section of the psalm that we've selected uh, in this particular uh, lectionary reading. There's a sea, verse 25, great and broad, in which are swarms without number, animals both small and great. There are ships that move along, and Leviathan, there it is, which you form to sport in it. They all wait for you to give them their food in due season. This swarming world of creatures, great and small, innumerable, hard to even count. It's just unfathomable the kinds of things that are in this great ocean. And you'll notice once again that parallel. Day one, light. Day four, light dwellers. Day two, sea and sky. Day five, the things that inhabit the sea and the sky, those swarming things of life in the sea and the birds in the heavens. And so you have that here. And and the emphasis on this passage, verse 30, is you send forth your spirit. They were created and you renew the face of the ground. That's the image here. The Spirit comes. He's moved over the surface of the waters at the very beginning. And now in the ongoing 
providential work of sustaining the world. The Spirit is working. I noticed today that the Spirit was working very well in terms of vegetation because my car, which is sort of a dark blue, was actually yellow when I went out to it today. I don't know if you've seen this. The pollen, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's thick. I mean, it really is thick. I had to wash my window to see out of it because it was so thick. Uh, and it also affected my allergies a little bit. I don't, I'm not really prone to aller- allergic response, but this is pretty heavy stuff. I mowed the yard yesterday, and uh, today I woke up with all kinds of feeling of congestion. The Spirit of God is working to make the world a fruitful place. The world is a fruitful place. Just let it go and see what happens. It's, again, a green-blue globe, and the Spirit of God works through that. So therefore, there's a praise, verse 31, let the glory of the Lord endure forever. Let the Lord be glad in His works. He looks at the earth and it trembles, etc. Let the Lord be glad in His works. What does that sound like? Well, Genesis threw out the steps of each day, and he saw that it was good. It was good. It was good. It was very good. The world created a right. It was very good. And we know that man made it fall. So that does bring us to day six. And what was made on day six? The land-dwelling beasts and, the, and man. Basically, beasts and man, animals and human. That's on day six. And so here, it turns more to the man himself, to the psalmist himself, verse 33. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. While I, I will sing to God while I have my being. By the way, that living is related to the spirit too, isn't it? How is it that man came alive, God formed him from the ground and then breathed life into him? That's the word for spirit. He basically gave him spirit. The spirit of God sustains man's life. I will sing while I live, while I have my being. Let my meditation be pleasing to him. As for me, I shall be glad in the Lord. He's reflecting upon man's response to this great creation, which is Again, somewhat like Genesis, because man awakes to a world that's full of wonder and awe in a garden and is told, given the command to have dominion in the world, to go forth in the world, to essentially expand the garden, to gardenize the whole of the world. That's the command, to be fruitful and to multiply, and then to rule over the fish of the sea and birds of the air and so forth. But something went wrong, as we know. Man fell. Adam sinned. The world was plunged into some level of disarray. Not totally, but corruption of humanity was total, total depravity. And now, verse 35 has to acknowledge that. Let sinners be consumed from the earth. Let the wicked be no more. Now the the fallen world here, a glorious world, but a fallen world awaiting for true redemption. And then there's that final benediction. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Hallelujah. or Praise the Lord. That's the psalm. It walks through as, again, almost like an oratorio handle or Bach or something, of a commentary on the unfolding days of creation. It's a marvelous poem. But let me conclude by focusing on our particular day. What is it about Pentecost that connects it to creation? Well, I've already said, that the Spirit of God 
renews the world. You send forth your spirit, verse 30, and they are created. You renew the face of the ground. But the spirit of God being promised for Pentecost was to renew not simply nature, but to renew the real hard soil of human hearts. The theme of the baptism of the Spirit goes all the way through from the very first proclamation about Jesus by John the Baptist all the way through the book of Acts. It's represented so many times and referenced so many times that basically, I will baptize you with water, John says, in a preparation to renew Israel, but he will baptize you with the Spirit. And even in the baptism of Jesus, there's that image of the Spirit of God coming down on the water in order to affirm in that triune picture. The Son is baptized. The Father says, this is my beloved Son, and the Spirit comes down upon Him. And so this Spirit baptism is very significant teaching. And I'll conclude with simply one verse that teaches us this. Verse 5 of Titus chapter 3 where Paul, in summary fashion, explains the nature of salvation by reference to the Holy Spirit. He says this, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing. See, there's the same idea. God renewed creation through His Spirit's work, but now He's renewing us by the washing of of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly. Once again, there's that image. Poured out upon us, the Spirit comes down richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of the life of the world to come or eternal life. The life of the renewed new creation. The Spirit is poured out as a result of the new creation, resurrection of Jesus, and now is permeating the world. And when we receive the Spirit, when we come into Christ, we are to be renewed. We are renewed, as this text says, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. That is symbolized in baptism. It's represented in baptism. I think we should believe those baptized have this. And it is worked out in all of life, in all of our spirit response, as we heard read in Romans chapter 8. Knowing the Spirit, the Spirit groans within us all of the different ways that we depend upon God through His Holy Spirit and His presence, guiding us, leading us. And we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit, even on this day of Pentecost. But remember, the life-renewing work of the Spirit. Creation testifies to this. And our own hearts testify this. And the church, the sacrament of the church, testifies the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out more from Dr. Greg Strawbridge now on Canon Plus. Mm-hmm.